0: A few weeks ago, we uh, we stepped into our new theme for the year, Sacred, where uh, we're looking at what it means to be a holy and a spiritual presence in this world, and in the lives of those around us. And we kicked off this uh, series by looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and today we come to the, the fruit of peace. Uh, but before we go there, I just wanted to share with you a quick story from uh, a psychology professor he experienced a few years ago. Um, One day in class, psychology students were sitting together and uh, when the professor came in, he told them that they were going to be learning about the extreme emotions that people with mania experience. And so uh, he he said that they usually experience opposites in their emotions. And so looking to one student, he said, "Uh, what's the opposite of, of joy? And as she thought about it, she replied, sadness. And he looked to another student and said, what's the opposite of depression? He asked the young lady. And she said, well, elation, she figured. And then turning to a young man dressed like an Albertan rancher in the back, he asked, and what's the opposite of woe? And the man replied, well, now, I figure the opposite of woe is giddy up. (laughs) Yeah, the wow, yeah, that that was, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Um... Today we're going to be looking at the fruit of peace, and, and I would argue that peace is something that we value really highly in our culture, right? We all want to live comfortable lives and, and be at peace with both those around us and our, uh, our, our workplace, our, our, our family lives, every aspect we want to find peace in in our lives, and yet we experience peace so seldom, right? We, we, we most of the time feel the opposite of peace, which is anxiety and worry. The World Health Organization found that back in 2019, roughly one in eight people uh, were dealing with some sort of mental disorder, and anxiety and depression were the top of that list. Uh, and since 2019, with the COVID pandemic, that uh, the WHO found that the prevalence of anxiety and depression rose by about 25% worldwide. The leading cause of disability in the world is depression. And, and antidepressants, the, the medication sold for depression, is, is on a global scale of about $15 billion. And that's only expected to rise in about seven years to about $21 billion. It's crazy how much money goes into us trying to find and experience peace, and yet it's so elusive. Right? While discussions on mental health have been increasing in good ways over the past few years, so have suicide rates and addictions. So why is peace so elusive? why do we find it so hard to get? Why in a country where, and, and hear me out for a second, I would argue we, we live pretty easy lives compared to some of those living in other places, right? We have clean drinking water in our houses. We, we have organizations where if you don't have enough food, you can go to them for help and, and you're fed, right? We have a lot of uh, beautiful things here in this country. We're not led by a, a military who just uses its citizens for gain. So why are we so anxious? Why are we so worried all the time? So this morning, uh, we're gonna be looking at the fruit of the Spirit, peace, and we're gonna be asking three questions and hopefully try to answer them. Uh, But what does God's peace look like? How do we get God's peace? And what are some things that keep us from having that peace? What are some obstacles in our path? So, uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. Uh, We're gonna be reading uh, Ephesians two, verses 13 to 19. If I were to get you to close your eyes for a couple moments and you were to spend a second thinking about peace, I'm willing to bet that for most of us, uh, the thought of peace would come across like um, a beach, an ocean somewhere where the sand is in front of you, the sun is shining down, uh, the nice beautiful tropical greenery surrounding you and the sound of the ocean waves rolling in the background. That's peaceful, right? Because it's a place that's free of conflict, right? We don't have to laying on the beach, deal with the stresses of work. We don't have to think about that conflicting relationship back home because we're just at peace. But peace is more than just being free from conflict in our lives. The Old Testament term for peace was shalom, and it it was more than just a calm tranquility. It was more of a a wholeness, a completeness, a well-being of your entire person. Uh, and, and shalom was even used in reference to a stone, for instance, a stone that was complete in and of itself, not having any breaks or cracks in it. So that's a definition of shalom. Another one used in Proverbs was used to restore a relationship that had been broken down, to bring shalom back to the relationship. So it's not just the absence of conflict, it's it's rather also the restoration of something back to its state of wholeness. So When something has taken your peace, for instance, we feel incomplete, we feel like we're lacking something, right? But we can experience God's peace in two different ways. We can experience, if you've heard the Billy Graham message, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but you can experience peace with God and the peace of God. Now, peace with God, this is salvation that Jesus brought through his sacrifice on the cross for us. Uh, Colossians 1.20 says that through Jesus, God is reconciling all things back to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, all of us have broken away from how God originally designed us to be in relationship with him. We were all created to know him in relationship. We had to walk alongside him and know him closer than a spouse. But when we thought it was better to go our own way, then something was broken and made incomplete in each of us. And so this, this beautiful relationship that was made for perfect peace between us and our Creator is now mangled. Our peace is lost, and what's worse is we don't have the tools to get that back. We can't. We're the ones who destroyed it. But this is how we also know that God loves us that he desires relationship with us so much that he was willing to take the blame and the pain of the cross and our sins for our behalf to fix what we broke. And it wasn't just an unfair type of justice that God brought, right? He, He is a just God. He's not just going to forgive everything and not actually deal any punishment for the sin of the world. He cares about justice. He cares about the wrongs that have happened. And so he took that on himself. He brought us peace by physically going through the justifying pain that he went through. Isaiah 53 says, Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The punishment that Jesus went through that we deserve to go through is what gives us peace, is what gives us healing. Jesus went through everything he did in order that we wouldn't have to be separated from him in relationship any longer. Do you see how much he loves us? Jesus was abandoned by God so that we could be accepted. He cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me, God? So that we can cry out, never will you forsake me. He was punished and tortured so that we could live forever. Forever. He took our place at the executioner's block so that we could have peace with him and life everlasting. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Jesus had his peace taken away so that we could gain it. This is how we have peace with God. The sin that we brought into the world caused the conflict in our relationship between us and God, and yet he was willing to bridge that gap back in our relationship to bring wholeness and completeness to our lives, to bring shalom, that is the good news. That we are in God's hands and no thing in this world or in the unseen can take us away from that. So that's, that's peace with God, the salvation that Jesus enacted through his sacrifice on the cross for us. And the second type of peace is the peace of God. This is the, the peace and assurance that God loves us and that he does have us in his hands and that he has a plan for us. That He's in control over everything. It's, it's the moments of, of serenity, not when everything is going well, but in the midst of life not going well. You can picture a, a lighthouse, for instance, in the middle of a, a, a torrential uh, downpour and waves crashing up against it. It's firm in the midst of the storm peace that goes beyond our understanding, beyond our ability to grasp it. Now, there are things that we can do to experience more peace in life. For instance, like getting exercise, eating healthy. These are ways that we can limit the amount of stress that we experience in life. But the peace of God isn't circumstantial, right? right? When, even when you, when you can't eat healthy, when you don't get any exercise, we can still experience this peace. Even when you get terrible sleeps nights and nights in a row, we can still experience this peace, knowing God is who he says he is. And these two types of peace work hand in hand, right? Once we accept that we have peace with God, then we can put our trust in the promises that he does love us, knowing that he went through what he went through for our sake, for our relationship with him. Now, that's all fantastic. That's great. But again, why is peace so elusive? Why do we so often experience worry and anxiety instead of peace? If Jesus is our Savior, why do we still go through these things? What's keeping us from having peace? Um, I'm sure you've heard the saying here before, and even as I say it now, I remember back 14 years ago when Dennis was preaching right here and I was sitting in the congregation and he shared the same thing. Um, But worry is a lot like a rocking chair. You you can keep busy and moving, but you never actually get anywhere with it. So what do we worry about? If I could summarize it briefly, everything, right? Uh, if If you have a job, you worry about doing a good enough job. You worry about keeping that job. If you don't have a job, you worry about finding one, right? If you have money, you worry about losing it. If you don't have money, you worry about getting it. And what's more is that we usually worry about worrying right? uh, We find ourselves worrying and we know we're not supposed to and so we worry about that even more. We're driven further into pit of anxiety. As someone once said, I have so many troubles that if anything were to happen to me today, it would be two weeks before I could get around to worrying about it. (laughs) So why is worry such a natural state for us? Why do we always go back to worrying? If we were to trust God and obey Him fully, instead of doing what we think is best, then yeah, we wouldn't have to worry. Right? First off, it's a result of our own sin, of us choosing to go our own way in this world. We can't worry if we, if we trust in Jesus, if we fully obey him, we can't worry. Because we know that even if we don't have all we need, that if we pursue first his righteousness and his kingdom, then he will provide everything that we need in this life. Worry is just a natural state of us choosing to go our own way. Isaiah 48, God is talking to his people that had gone their own way, and so he says this, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would be like a river, your well-being like waves of the sea. God wants for us to experience his peace. He wants for us to live in well-being and completeness and wholeness. And the person who has true peace is the one who knows, that God, God, knows God's voice and obeys him and trusts in him. But we also lose our peace to the work of the enemy. You see, the enemy, both, both the accuser, Satan, as he's called in the Bible, and the world, they're not able to affect our salvation. Right? Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus that is in God. Right? So nothing can take away our salvation. But what he can do is try to make us as miserable and as useless as we possibly can be in this world. So that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries taking away our peace in our relationship with God by telling us that we've made one more mistake than God's willing to forgive. Right? He tells us that we don't deserve to have a relationship with God anymore. When things aren't going well, he gets us to believe that he's abandoned us for the final time. He tells us a lie that when life isn't going well, God has actually gotten rid of us. But it's also our relationship with each other that he tries to mangle and maim. The accuser will try to make our relationship with others miserable and useless. As believers, he gets us to try and focus on our differences rather than on loving one another so that we care more about what's right than we do loving each other. He gets us to gossip about each other, to make fun of each other behind our backs so that we treat people as objects to make ourselves look better instead of seeing the image of God in one another. Now, we also tend to worry, apart from the work of the enemy, we tend to worry just because our minds waver, right? We, we have difficulty at times holding on to the truth and believing it and continuing to believe it. Sometimes the enemy tempts us away from that. I'll read a, a couple passages to you from Isaiah chapter 26, uh, verse 3, it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And verse 12 says, Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. The person who has peace is the one whose mind is steadfast, who trusts in Jesus and doesn't waver from the truth there, who doesn't go back to believing that they're worthless, who doesn't go back to believing that God has abandoned them when life gets challenging. The, the, the Greek word for worry is literally made up of two different words, to divide and the root word for a mind. So it's literally to have a divided mind is to worry. And the longer you stay on the rocking chair, the harder it is to get off. So God establishes our peace. What do we learn from this? He establishes our peace. We don't just try hard enough to be at peace in the moments that we think we need it, right? Right? But we find our peace in Him. So how do we get it? How do we do that? Well, not by trying on our own, right? The verse I just said says peace is established for us. But it doesn't mean that we still can't try. Right? All of us at points have tried to find our peace in this world in unhealthy ways. We've all tried to find peace, but it's only momentary and unfulfilling. It's not lasting. It's it's the peace of a substance that numbs your mind for a few minutes, a few hours. Others have tried to find it in fulfilling your dreams, trying to satisfy the one goal you've had all your life, only to realize that it's not as gratifying as you thought it might be. We've all tried to find our peace in this world, but the only thing this world offers is a a maimed and a cheap substitute that fades for peace that puts us back at square one. But if you find your peace in God, that is a lasting peace that will carry you through both the highs and the lows of life. So how do we find it? Uh, In in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, and in it he puts, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Um, Paul has learned a way to be at peace regardless of what's happening in his life. But I want to focus on something else there that we usually brush over, at least I do oftentimes, is that Paul learned... The secret of contentment. Learn, he learned how to be at peace. It wasn't something that just came naturally to him, right? He had to learn how to have this type of peace. I want to point out that it's a skill he developed that we can develop too. And the verses that, that come right after the ones I just read, or the ones right before this, uh, give us a hint as to how he did that. In verse 6 and 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. First off, it comes through thanksgiving. Paul doesn't say, When life is great and working well in the ways you want it to, give thanks. He says, In everything, in everything. We are to bring our requests to him. We are to lay down and submit at his feet the things that are weighing heavy on our hearts and our minds and to thank him that no matter what happens, that it is within his will and is good, we can trust that it is. Now, it's not thanking him for the bad things that happen to us in life, but thanking him that despite what is happening, we can trust that he's loving, that he's good, he's continuing to speak truth, that his purpose and his goodness will prevail we thank God knowing that even if we don't receive the thing that we want from him that we're coming to him for that he is good that he can be trusted and that whatever happens even if it's uncomfortable even if it's uncertain we can still trust that it's within his will and that it's good and that he's loving us through it one one definition one definition of sin is to go our own way it's us wanting to be God and so like i said earlier when we go our own way in life we experience worry and anxiety but when we follow as God leads, even if it's in the places that are uncomfortable, that do feel evil in moments as well, we can experience his peace. Can you trust that you don't have the whole picture? Can you trust that what Jesus is doing is, in fact, good? That he's working good for all the things, or he's working all things for good for those who love him. Even when you don't think, think you have all that you need. Because God says, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give him or her what she would have asked if they know everything I know. We don't see how all the complexities of life work together. Right? I can barely make a schedule work for myself in a given day. But to hold everything together, to know how everything is affecting other people, our words, our actions, it's too much. We can't know. So can we trust and truly say that our desires and our direction, the things that we feel and think aren't always the best way for us? Can we submit to Jesus and trust that the way he leads us is good and is better than what we think? God doesn't say, I'll give you a peaceful life. He rather says, I will teach you how to have my peace regardless of what is happening in life. One of, the, one of the lines of the serenity prayer, which is made famous in the Alcoholics Anonymous group, um, is to accept hardship as a pathway to peace. It doesn't come naturally to us, right? Paul had to learn how to be at peace, and we have to pursue God. We have to find that peace in Him if we want to experience it. And finding God sometimes means actively fighting against the lies of the enemy, So when we become worried and we think, well, maybe God has given up on me. I made this mistake again. We need to arm ourselves and say that there's no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Right? When we're tempted to think that God doesn't love us or that he has actually given up on us, we have to fight and remind ourselves that he loved us so much that he was willing to bridge the gap in our relationship by dying and suffering on the cross for us to have a relationship with us. It's why the armor of God in Ephesians, we're supposed to arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We fight against our very real enemy with the truths that we find in Scripture, the truths that slay every one of his lies. And when we see that all the punishment that we deserved was put on Jesus, it gives us the ability to trust in those promises, knowing that they're good, knowing that we can firmly trust in them. They're a foundation for us, right? If He did truly die for us, and not not just die, but it says in Hebrews that it was for the joy set before Jesus that He endured the cross. You think about that, the joy set before Him, the joy of having relationship again with you and with me, with us as His church, as His bride. That is the nature of our Creator and when the enemy works, he gets us to believe everything opposite of who God is, that he will give up on us, that he does not forgive us in moments because we're just being too bad. When we come to Jesus and we ask him for forgiveness, he forgives us. He welcomes us with open arms into relationship. It's the nature of who he is. And he's willing to give us peace if we're, learning, if we're willing to find it in him and learn it. So, when you don't know what God is doing, when when life seems confusing, reassure yourself that God is in control over all things and that he is working good. And give thanks for the truth that you do know in those moments. Second, alongside giving thanks, one way that Paul said he had learned uh, contentment was through using his mind, thinking, controlling his thoughts. Uh, Right after talking about this peace that transcends all understanding, he goes into this, Uh, This next verse and says that whatever is true, whatever is noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Right? The worried and the anxious mind doesn't see any way to find peace except by rocking the chair faster. But it gets nowhere. It takes stopping the train of thought that's gone off the rails. It takes thinking about whatever is noble, whatever is pure, these things. It means convincing our own minds of the truth that we cannot quite see or believe in the moment. This is what David did in uh, Psalm 42, 43. It's a few times he wrote this. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Right? He felt as though he were in a pit. He felt like he was in the place of darkness and he felt abandoned by God. He literally said in the few verses before that, God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Yet despite the lies the enemy was putting towards him, he went back to the truth that God had not forsaken him. But it meant reassuring reassuring himself of the truth that he wasn't able to see in that moment. It's hard. It's not easy to find truth, to learn peace. Of reminding himself even when god seemed like he had abandoned him that he truly was with him these are the moments that we need to reassure, reassure ourselves of truth we need to focus our thoughts we need to bring ourselves back to truth when our minds are tempted to think in darkness and the enemy will use whatever tools he can to try and bring us to that place he will bring up our past He'll point out the ways in which we failed in in previous years and get us to focus on that for why we aren't worthy of God's love. He'll get us to focus on how hopeless our future is, taking away all hope that we have in Christ and what he's doing in our lives. And in this, we need to take our stand and fight. We need to look to Jesus. For every one look you take at your sin, take five looks at your Savior. So when you're experiencing worry, when anxiety seems to be taking over, Thank God that he is in control over your situation, that regardless of what you're currently experiencing, whatever will happen is within his will and good if you're willing to trust and pursue him. And as well, to turn your mind away from your worries and back to Jesus, to remind yourself of truth that you're not willing to even accept in this moment. It is hard, but again, it's how we learn to have peace. Just... um, if you've fallen back into the rut of worry, I also want to say that don't feel bad about being in that place. If you're starting to get angry, if you're starting to worry yourself back into the pit, it's okay. God puts us in those places at times too. Uh, if, if you remember the story of John the Baptist, he was, he was literally sent as the messenger ahead of Jesus to point to Jesus, to tell everyone this is the Messiah. And if you remember, there's a story right before he's executed... Uh, he's brought into prison, and, and as he's sitting there in this cold, dark cell, he sends messengers out to Jesus, and he asks them and th- he encourages them to t- ask Jesus this question. He says, "Are you actually the Messiah, or is there another one to come?" John the Baptist, Jesus said of him, "There is no one greater among men than John." That man, he had doubts and worries. He doubted his entire purpose and existence in life. He was put into a place where he doubted these things as well. When we fall into those places, perhaps God has led us there. Perhaps he's put us there to help us learn to trust more in his love for us and the things he's doing to trust that He is still good. But we will be put into moments where we forget these promises. Right? It's easy right now. We're all sitting in the comfortable pews with, uh, surrounded by people that we love, but when it's, when it's five in the morning and you haven't been sleeping again, when, when that coworker is ragging on you for that thing that you already feel bad about, whether the anxiety just won't let you think normal thoughts, it's in those times that we forget. But we can still find peace in Jesus through those. The peace Jesus offers isn't just for our quiet times or for even just the raging seas that we face. His gentleness and his mercy and love for us to give us peace is, is, is good to both situations. So what will it take for you to pursue peace? Does it mean giving up the, the thing that you've been finding meager peace in? Does it mean memorizing a few verses of Scripture, the ones that you're more prone to forget in the times when they're darkest? Does it mean spending more time meditating on Jesus or thanking him? For each of us, it might be a different practice, but there is only one name under which peace can be found, and he is the Prince of Peace. This morning, uh, we're going to be celebrating communion together, and I'll just invite the worship team to come on up at this time, but as as we eat this meal together, I'd encourage you to remember the sacrifice, or we, we do this in order to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave for each of us, Right? And as we eat this meal, we do so in remembrance that as his blood was poured out, that we were filled with his spirit. That as his body was crushed and broken and as he was killed, we are given life. So as, as uh, you come forward and take the elements, uh, the band will be playing some music. Again, if you want to come up as an individual or as a family, you can do either way. Um, but I'd encourage you, as, as you go back to your chairs and spend some moments in reflection, I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting on why it was a joy for Jesus to endure the cross. Why he wanted relationship with us so much that he was willing to do the very worst, that he was willing to go through the very worst and take on what we were supposed to experience. Why he willingly went to his own death for our sake. So I'll pray for us and then you can come forward to receive the elements. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness that you walk alongside us in every season of life, God. And though we change, you don't. When, when our feelings and thoughts change and, and are, are prone to just be um, carried by the winds, God, of the worries that we face, we pray for steadfastness, that you would give us a peace in you, an assurance in you that will last us through these storms. But Father, help us to do what we can to learn this peace in you. Help us to find our contentment in you, God, for the ways in which we find peace in other things, I pray that you would give us what we need to find that peace in you to help us overcome that step. Father, for those who need to spend more time with you, I pray that they would desire that within them. But Father, in all these things, we thank you that you are working, that you are good, that you love us, that you care for us. So Father, we ask that you continue the work in us that you began. Father, as we celebrate this, we thank you for the, the sacrifice that you made for us, that we might be made whole through your brokenness. So, Father, we ask for your strength in our minds and in our hearts, not to lose heart, not to become unwavering and focused in our minds and thoughts, but to be focused on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for the things that you are doing and working in us, God. Amen.